kaiju veteran and a kaiju newbie watch giant monster movies and chat about them. I'm Andrew. And I'm Amanda. We're coming to you live from our new blanket fort. I don't know about you, but blanket forts just pull me back into childhood. I don't know what it is. There's just something about a small space with lots of pillows that just feels like a castle. Yeah. There's just something about my inner child that just loves being in a blanket fort. It's kind of like when we were watching House Hunters yesterday. Do you remember that episode? I do. Do you remember that there was like an attic area that had steps down to a bedroom? And there was just something about that. It was just, I wanted that house so bad. There was no logical reason for it. But that just felt like having a treehouse room. And I always wanted that growing up. How would you feel if your house had... I don't know, giant cubes with pictures of airplanes on them or sliding doors with rainbows painted on them. What? Like something out of a Pee Wee Sherman nightmare? Or maybe something out of Godzilla vs. Megalon. Yeah, I'm good. (laughs) I'll (laughs) stick with my tree fort dreams. Yeah, so... We watched Godzilla vs. Megalon yesterday. We did. (laughs) And, man. Definitely very different than Godzilla, the 1954 movie. Yeah, how much whiplash? Definitely whiplash. It's definitely more what I expected out of Godzilla when we first started this project. Yeah, uh, it's... I think the movie people... Who are not exposed to Godzilla think of when they think of Godzilla, they think of Godzilla versus Megalon. They think of giant monsters just doing goofy fighting scenes. And we didn't watch the dubbed version, but bad dubbing. <laughs> so why did we jump from 1954 Godzilla into the prime 1970s Godzilla versus Megalon? Well... I wanted to I wanted to jump in the deep end first of all. We definitely did that. And second of all, Godzilla vs. Megalon is the movie that for a while was most Americans exposure to Godzilla. It was the f- one that people saw more often than anything else. Well, it's a good thing I have you here to educate me on the finer aspects of Godzilla. Eh, finer. You know, that's all matter of taste. Higher brow. Sure. (laughs) It's definitely not top of my personal list, but there's a lot of people this is their favorite movie. I actually had a lot of fun watching this movie. It's got that weird factor that just left me saying, what? I think about a hundred times during this movie. Yeah. It's one of the most fun Godzilla movies. That's, I can see that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Before we talk about the movie, I wanted to talk about some of the background. Like... Why even make this dang movie? Money. Money. Money is <laughs> a big a big deal. This movie was being made during a major moment of economic crash for the Japanese film industry. That explains so much. Yes. The 70s were really hard for the Japanese film industry as a whole and especially Toho. There are a lot of issues, a lot of reasons for that. I can't get into all of them. I don't know all of them because I'm not an economics expert. I don't know all of Japanese history. I know most of just Toho stuff. One of the big things, though, is television. 
So this was a television movie, like a direct-to-television movie? No. This is a movie that was released in theaters. But one of the reasons why movies were having such a hard time is because television was becoming so popular. TV was getting to the point where, why go to the movies if we have movie-quality shows on our TV that we can get for free. That makes sense. Why would you spend, I don't even know how much movies were back then, $20 today to go see a movie when you could just turn on your TV and watch something just as good? And a big part of that is a man, or not a man, but a character by the name of Ultraman. I've heard the name. Are, are you familiar at all with Ultraman? For some reason, I have this combination of Astro Boy meets the Power Rangers in my head. I'm going to show you a picture of Ultraman. Does that look related at all to any characters in this movie that we just watched? <laughs> it looks just like one of the characters that we meet. But it kind of looks like a robotic fish man. Robotic fish man. Doesn't it? Sure. He's got the fins going down his head. Ultraman is, along with other characters like Kamen Rider and later on Super Sentai, which would turn into the Power Rangers in America. Yeah, hey, I know that one. They're all kind of responsible for this big push towards TV instead of movies in the tokusatsu realm. Funny story, I actually used to be afraid of the Power Rangers when I was growing up. I what? would rent one of the Power Rangers movies a lot, and for some reason they really spooked me. I don't know why, it's just something my mom likes to tell me. What? Why? I don't know. I, I don't know why they freaked me out. Apparently they did. Rita Repulsa, is she really scary to you? I don't remember anything about okay. the Power Rangers other than vague images, but I don't know why. I think it must have been the the villains somehow. Interesting. Ultraman specifically is actually very closely tied to Godzilla. His, like, There's a connection. Is it like a similar background person, an actor or a director or something? Absolutely. If you remember last episode, we talked about Eiji Tsuburaya, who's the special effects director. I remember this. The father of Japanese special effects. Did he work on both? He eventually, in the late 60s, mid-60s? I don't remember exactly when. Oh, no. 1963. <laughs> I have it in my notes. 1963, he decided he needed more creative freedom. He didn't like being told by a company what to do. And he was just feeling really stifled by Toho, specifically. And so he split off. He made Subaraya Productions. And Subaraya Productions went on to make a bunch of things, but the Ultra series is one of them. And that includes a bunch of Ultraman TV shows, a few other things. And then he came back and made this movie. No. Oh, well. He did not. He wasn't involved in this movie. He was not involved in this movie. So how did we get an Ultraman figure in this movie then? Well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> so we have Ultraman who has... The guy who invented Godzilla special effects doing those special effects on TV. Why do we need to go see Godzilla movies if we have Godzilla quality special effects on TV? That's a good question. Yeah. So that's really cutting into Toho's profits. So the goal for this movie was to try and get some of those profits by making... An Ultraman-style hero. 
that doesn't seem like it would solve the problem. If the problem is I have the same thing for free on my TV as I do paying for a movie and they were going to choose the free TV option, how does this solve that problem? Well, it turns out it didn't. (laughs) What? That's a shock. Yeah. Toho did have their own TV show. Godzilla and Friends? (laughs) No, Zone Fighter. And Godzilla did show up in Zone Fighter occasionally, and so did uh, a few other monsters that are in this movie. Zone Fighter didn't really hold up compared to Ultraman, though. So I haven't heard of that, and I have heard of Ultraman, so yeah, that makes sense. So, that's that. I wanted to real fast talk about the director of this movie. So, instead of... Ishiro Honda. Ishiro Honda is nowhere to be found in this movie. In fact, none of the dream team, other than Tomoyuki Tanaka. The producer. The producer. Made this movie. Where is the director? Is he still making movies? Ishiro Honda was still making movies up till, I believe, 1975. He just didn't want anything to do with this movie. He was just making other movies at Toho. He was just, he definitely wasn't working on this one. Instead, they had Jun Fukuda, who directed this movie. Jun Fukuda started as an assistant director underneath Ishiro Honda. They both worked on Rodan. And Toho approached Jun Fukuda every time that Ishiro Honda refused to make a Godzilla movie. And this was the one where he said yes. This is... No, he had made a few before this, too. And Jun Fukuda just always was like, absolutely, every time Ishiro Honda turned it down. I don't think I would do anything different. Yeah. If you're going to give me the reins, I'm going to take it. It's money. He directed five movies in total. This movie was also written by a man named Shinichi Sekizawa, who is insanely important to the Godzilla film world. We're not going to talk about him in this movie because this is him at his lowest. Like, this is not good writing in this movie. What other movies did he do? He wrote pretty much every... Godzilla, every kaiju movie from 1957-ish on through the 19, late 1970s. So he, he was a big deal. He wrote all of them. He basically invented what the story of kaiju movies are. But he had his, his old like ethos and stuff that we'll get into when we talk about one of his better movies. <laughs> This is a low point for him. I don't want our introduction to Shinichi Sekizawa to be Godzilla versus Megalon. (laughs) So which movie did we watch? Which version of this movie? We watched the Tokyo Shock Blu-ray, which was released in 2014. And we watched the subs for it. And I know we had a debate about which one to watch. Yeah, I, I was like... Most people who watch Godzilla vs. Megalon watch the bad dubs, so I kind of wanted to do that. Why did you decide on the sub then? Because I really wanted Jet Jaguar's theme at the end to have some subtitles. Okay, yeah, they were definitely worth watching. That was mainly it. Punch, punch, punch. Yeah, yeah, we'll come back to that. (laughs) I also wanted to, to point out this is the 13th Godzilla movie. It's bad luck. (laughs) We did jump around a little bit. Yes. (laughs) So tell me about Godzilla vs. Megalon. 
Before we get into the plot, I just want to talk about the menu screen, which is where I walked into the room. You had set this up while I was out of the room. I come in to this elevator music, this music <laughs> <laughs> with this fight scene going on. It kind of looked a little bit like West Side Story with monster suits. They were kind of circling each other and making aggressive power stances. <laughs> Godzilla's doing some like karate forms. It was definitely an introduction to this movie. It's about right. And the movie actually starts with some exposition, as you do. It talks about how Japan is performing nuclear testing on an island near Kaiju Island. Near Monster Island. Near Monster Island. Kaiju Island's a fantastic podcast that everyone should listen to. <laughs> Monster Island is an island that Godzilla and friends live on. And we see Godzilla right away in this movie. Yes. You see him as Kaiju Island, Monster Island, is being shaken from all the explosions. So we see Godzilla really early on. We also see two other monsters in the form of stock footage. And we're going to be seeing a lot of stock footage in this movie. Who are the other monsters? We see Rodan and Angerus. Angerus is the one who was covered in spikes. And Rodan is the the pterodactyl one. I knew Rodan. You, you knew Rodan. But those were not... That was not new footage for the movie. That was all old footage. Can and you pinpoint which movies those are from? I can guess, and I can look it up too, but I can guess that they're from Destroy All Monsters. But my question is, can you tell? Do you have that stored in your head? My, no, <laughs> but I can make an educated guess. That's fair. What did you think of this new Godzilla suit? This suit is the most friendly looking. It really is. He has huge puppy dog eyes. It looks so light. He's able to bounce around mm -hmm. in this suit, and he's much thinner. He does a lot of wrestling in this suit, so they wanted him to be able to do that. That makes sense. Especially compared to the last time we saw Godzilla, which was in the first movie. Where he it... could only use his right hand. Exactly. <laughs> this is actually the last suit that we will see of Godzilla. If you were watching them all chronologically, this is the last suit we'll see of Godzilla in the old series. Because this suit, with slight changes to the head, gets used in the next three movies, which lasts up until the end of the Showa series, which is the all the old movies. So this is the last iconic suit. And like I said last time, all the suits have names. And this is the Megaro Goji. Meg it's such a cute name, too. Megaro being the Japanese name for Megalon. So this is the Megalon Godzilla. But he has these big rounded cheeks and this rounded mouth that very much looks like a dog, I think. Mm-hmm. I just, he looks like a puppy. Yep. We have a picture up right now. And in this picture, you can't really tell, but he also, his spines are puffier. Like they've been inflated a little bit more. I could see it. His tail is a little rounder than normal. He's got a rounded belly. He's got a rounded belly. He's just all around rounder. <laughs> I wonder if they purposely were going for friendlier. I know there was a period where they were doing some weird stuff where 
it was a very much Godzilla and Friends vibe. This is definitely part of that. Yeah. And they're trying to push him as a hero. They definitely did that. Yeah. He's the hero. And so he's got to look like a hero. After we see the monster island being shaken by the explosions, the movie cuts to a boy riding this horrifying clown dolphin (laughs) boat thing. It kind of reminds me of a paddle boat like the swan paddle boats, but a horrifying dolphin. Yeah. It's a dolphin and then the paddles are also dolphins. (laughs) That move. That move. Sometimes. I don't know what child would want that, but, you know, to each their own. And there's two men on the shore watching him paddle his boat. Yes. We don't find out their names for a while, I don't think. We don't get formal introductions to any of them. We just have to guess what their (laughs) names are usually. For simplification purposes, I'm just going to say the names now. Mm -hmm. The boy's name is Rokuro or Roku. Yep. And the two men on shore are his brother Goro and his friend Hiroshi. Yes. And I'll just get the actors out of the way right now. Hiroshi is played by Yutaka Hayashi. I don't have any information about this guy. I tried looking stuff up about him. All I know is he was born in 1947 and he's still around. Uh, (laughs) As your notes say, still kicking. Still kicking. Urokuro Ibuki is played by Hiroyuki Kawase. Born in 1964, still kicking, as my notes say. Uh, (laughs) I mean, he's my mom's age, so I would hope so. Yes. I also don't know anything about him. Goro, Goro Ibuki, is played by Katsuhiko Sasaki. I do know a little bit more about him. He has appeared in four Godzilla movies. Terror of Mechagodzilla, Godzilla vs. Megalon, and two of the 90s movies, Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah and Godzilla vs. Biollante. And he does voice acting, specifically... Ultraman? To, for, no, I wish. <laughs> uh, of interest to us, he does voice acting on the dub for American, for Hollywood Godzilla movies. So he speaks English pretty fluently? No, he does like the Japanese dub. When they're bringing the Hollywood Godzilla movies to Japan, oh. he'll do the Japanese dub. Does he do that today? Yeah. He was cool. he was a character in the 2019 in Godzilla vs King or sorry in Godzilla King of the Monsters he was a, a character on that dub. Do you know which character? He, he was the general that I don't remember the name of, <laughs> but yeah. And he was born in 1968 and is still around, obviously. Cool. And that's all I know about them. Wait, Goro was born in 1968. Yes. Wasn't Rokuro born in 19? 19- nope, I, that's wrong. He wasn't born in 1968. I will look up when he was born. He was not... (laughs) Younger than the little boy? (laughs) He was definitely not, what, uh, five years old during this movie. (laughs) 1944. Big difference. But I would say that if anyone is a main character, it's Hiroshi. Goro's the older brother. Yeah, I would say Hiroshi's the main character if there is a main character. And Hiroshi's the one who keeps going on cool car chases. Yeah, he goes off on his own the most. Yeah, sure. Goro's the inventor, and Hiroshi's the, like, action hero. So, while the boy's in the water on this 
horrifying dolphin thing. Mm-hmm. The water starts to bubble. There's shaking all around. You see some lights under the water. And they pull out this life rope gun, which uh, sounds cool. I think we should invent this. A life rope gun. If I had any engineering experience at all, I would invent this. My notes just have... In all caps, life rope gun. Mine literally has, in quotes, life rope gun. (laughs) (laughs) So they get him back on shore by using their life rope gun. And then the water starts to drain out of this lake. Into a fissure is what they call it throughout the movie. Which I think is supposed to imply that... Oh, I thought it was supposed to imply that a monster was traveling under the ground... But looking back on the plot of the movie, I think it's more just a fissure that was created from the shaking of the nuclear testing. The underground nuclear testing. They didn't give any explanation on why they would do underground nuclear testing. But they did mention shortly after when they're driving home from the lake, the older brother, Goro, says if they keep doing this underground nuclear testing, they're going to sink us under the water like Lemuria and Moo, which I didn't initially write down because that seemed like such a weird offhand comment, but ends up being very relevant to the plot. Being incredibly important. (laughs) And they get home to this house that looks like, as I've been explaining it, Pee-wee's playhouse. It looks very much like Pee-wee's playhouse. It's very, lots of primary colors everywhere. As you were saying before, there's these cubes with pictures of airplanes hanging from chains in their entryway (laughs) right in front of the door they have to dodge these cubes every time they enter their door it seems very impractical and not it doesn't look aesthetically pleasing either i don't to me i don't get it in my 20s 20s mindset i don't get it but when they get home their home's been broken into they cautiously enter the building only to be met by two men One of them looks like Alan Rickman, very Mm. much so, and we never actually get names for these characters, so I have dubbed him Alan Rickman. He's just Alan Rickman. She pointed it out to me, and I can't not, I cannot (laughs) stop seeing it. You're welcome. He just is Alan Rickman. (laughs) He's not Alan Rickman, obviously, because that would be weird, but he is. 1970s Alan Rickman. Mm Mm-hmm. They get attacked by these guys with guns, but the guns knock them out, and the guys run out, the the bad guys run out, and they're chased by Hiroshi, who picks up this red button. I don't think that's ever really explained. How in a fight he grabbed a button. He goes off and chases them in a car chase, and it cuts back and forth between this car chase that's going on, very awkward car chase, (laughs) (laughs) and... The older brother, Goro, and the younger boy, Rokuro, or Roku, searching the house and trying to figure out what they stole. It's the kind of car chase where you kind of expect them to turn on their blinkers. (laughs) It just reminded me of the Blues Brothers. Yeah, like a bad, slow Blues Brothers. Yeah, exactly. There's kind of like goofiness to it that isn't intended to be there. Yeah. Hiroshi chases them in his car. And they are able to get away by throwing this thing that causes an instant giant flame. So he can't follow them anymore. And it looks like, the fire looks like someone just took an animated gif of a flame and put it on. And, and just glued it on top of the other film. Exactly. And then there was someone set a fire. As Goro and Roku are searching the house, 
they find that nothing's been taken, but they do find a pile of red sand that they think looks similar to the button. I'm mostly confused about that. Why the red sand and why the button? Like, I get the button. I get maybe how he grabbed the button in a fight, I guess. I don't know where this red sand came from if they were just in the house. Are they made of red sand? I don't think so. So part of when they're searching the house, they talk about this robot that Goro's working on. It doesn't have a head yet. It's just a metallic suit with a lot of, again, primary colors. I feel like the the color scheme for this movie is red, yellow, blue. And a lot of brown. A lot of brown. Very 70s. Kind of looks like Wonder Bread. Yep. <laughs> yep. So we go into a montage of Goro's working on his robot and... Hiroshi sends the sand away to be experimented on, and Roku apparently built himself a mini bicycle, or a mini motorcycle that's way too small for him. His knees have to bow out to the sides to ride on this thing, and then he just decides to go take it for a spin on his own, this seven-year-old boy. What's the name of it? I don't have that written. Baby Rider. (laughs) Isn't that the name of a movie recently? Baby Driver. I did spend a little (laughs) bit where I thought that Baby Driver was a reference to Baby Rider. (laughs) Well, I mean, if it came out in 2020, I would totally think it was a reference the other way around. You invent a toy based on a movie. Totally makes sense. So, 7 to 10 year old Roku, I don't know how old he is, is off taking his motorcycle for a test spin while Goro and Hiroshi are talking about the results of the testing on the sand. And they said that it's from... 3,000 kilometers under the ocean, and also from Easter Island. Both places somehow. But decide that it's from underwater. I don't know what that implies about Easter Island. That it rose from the bottom of the ocean? Or in the theme of the movie, maybe something attached to Easter Island sank underwater? Maybe. It's never really explained. It's definitely not. And then Goro's finished his robot, and he's named him... Jet Jaguar! So Jet Jaguar... Who looks like Green Goblin, by the way. (laughs) He does! Oh no! His helmet looks... His helmet looks exactly like Green Goblin, but only metallics, and then his body's in red, yellow, blue. Oh no, he does look like Green Goblin. Have you never made that connection before? No, I haven't. Really? I can't... That was the only thing I could think when I was watching this movie. No. <laughs> so, Jet Jaguar. <laughs> On the sad note. <laughs> so, Jet Jaguar was actually the product of a monster design competition in 1971 called Children Monster University. <laughs> uh, that was co-sponsored by both Toho and Subaraya Productions. That's what we should have named our podcast. Children Monster University. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, so both Toho and Subaraya Productions teamed up to host Children Monster University. Uh, one kid put out his design and it won. And then afterward they were like, your design's going to be in a Godzilla movie. Did he get paid for it? Oh, no, of course not. <laughs> I assume not. There's no There's no way. Uh, the winner was designed by a boy named Masaki Sano, and the winner was called Red Alone. I'm going to show you a picture of Red Alone. 
I want you to describe Red Alone. This is the only picture we have of Red Alone. Red Alone does not look like Jet Jaguar in any sense of the word. Not a, not at all. He has bat wings and Godzilla hands. He has rolls on his neck and arms that look <laughs> like the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. The head of a moth. Sure. He's got the like moth eyes going on. Uh-huh. And a six pack. Uh-huh. That kind of looks like a gorilla body with yellow abs, white pecs, and red everything else. So what I've always interpreted this, because, again, he looks nothing like how it ended up. He looks nothing like Jet Jaguar. Mm -hmm. But this is what they turned into Jet Jaguar. I think... I was that boy. I would be so sad. Yes. I think what happened is they were like, okay, we said this was going to be in a Godzilla movie, but we really need something to be like Ultraman in this movie. Let's just take the color scheme. That's so rude. I'd be so sad. This little boy designed this monster. He won this competition. He's going to see it on a movie. And then he sees Green Goblin. Yeah. That's that's always been my assumption is that's how it worked. It's kind of like the suit actor for Godzilla 1954 one who gets credited but isn't actually in the movie. Yeah. For the shots of Jet Jaguar lifting into the air when he flies. Spoiler, he's going to fly later. Uh, he just stood on a plank of wood, and all a bunch of staff members just lifted him up into the air. That doesn't seem like the safe way to do it. And about the suit that I love, uh, Jet Jaguar's eyes are car tail lights. Hold on, go back to the flying thing. Oh, yes. Did they not have the ability to lift people with wires yet? No, they did. This was cheaper. Remember, we're talking about as little budget as possible. Don't they use wires to lift things into the air later? Sure. They have the technology. They have the machine to do it. Sure. Why not just use it for this? They don't have to. I don't know. I don't have a good answer. Go back in time and ask them. There's some great pictures of it, by the way. You can you can <laughs> look them up of just a bunch of people holding up a man in a Jet Jaguar suit over their head on a plank of wood. <laughs> Jet Jaguar's eyes are... He has car tail lights in the sockets, so they light up real bright. And the suit uh, was a latex full body... Body suit? Yeah, it was like a body suit. Covered in rubber foam and was incredibly flammable, apparently. (laughs) Now, was there any fire in this movie? Only a bit. Just a little. (laughs) There was, in fact, a lot of fire around Jet Jaguar. Um, and Jet Jaguar was played by two people, Tsukotoshi Kamada and Masachika Mori. Although Masachika Mori only did like a couple scenes, I guess, or maybe his scenes didn't show up in it. or I, I, I don't know. Main credits go to Tsukotoshi Kamada for one reason or another. Primary suit actor. We don't know much about him. It's his first foray into suit acting, and he called it in a recent interview on the Criterion Collection of all the Godzilla movies, the one that I crave to own, but I don't have $150 to spend on a bunch of Blu-rays of movies I already have. He said that it was the most wonderful thing that ever happened to him, was playing Jet Jaguar. That's so cute. Yeah. That makes my heart happy. That's all I got on him. (laughs) So the robot's done, and 
Goro and Hiroshi are celebrating that Jet Jaguar is done, while Rokuro is still on his motorcycle joyride when he gets kidnapped by Alan Rickman and his companion. He got kidnapped right off of, t- of Baby Rider. And then they left Baby Rider there. So rude. Anyone could have taken it. So they have him in the back seat and they contact Seatopia. Yeah. <laughs> and cut to Seatopia. We see. Here's how I have it written Trippy Space Greek Twister Room. <laughs> best description i can have for it sure sure <laughs> there's a guy in a toga uh-huh a white hairy dude in a toga yes and a headband with a picture of spoilers megalon on it yep <laughs> in a room of again red yellow and blue and mm-hmm. metallics yes it looks like what if space greeks decided to set up shop inside of a disco or a twister room. Or a twister room. Uh, Emperor Antonio, who is Oh, the... he does have a name. He does have a name. We just never hear it. Yes. Uh, and later on, a single Cetopian on a motorcycle are both played by one Robert Dunham. Robert Dunham I bring up because he's an American actor who's in actually a lot of old Toho kaiju films. A lot of old uh, sci-fi movies in general. He's on a lot of movies on our list. He's on. He's in Mothra, Dogara, the American cut of Mothra vs. Godzilla. He's on, in Son of Godzilla. He's in this. And you said that he speaks fluent Japanese, but they still voiced over him? Yes. It, yes. Dunham was a Marine, and he was stationed in Yokohama for a while. And that's when he learned to speak fluent Japanese. What a fun side job to being a Marine is being an actor in cheesy sci-fi movies. Well, he, he didn't start being an actor until after he was in the Marines. Because oh, well, then... they don't let you be an actor while you're that's a, fun. a Marine. He was eventually honorably discharged. And then he decided to stay in Japan for some time. He started a business. Got married. Got married again. Because the first one didn't... I was going to say at the same time? No. And he got involved with Toho during its golden age. And he was kind of their go-to... American dude? One of their go-to Americans, yeah. And again, he spoke fluent Japanese. In most movies, they just let him speak Japanese. This one, though? I guess he didn't have the authority that they were looking for. Maybe. I don't know. So in this one, they decided that he needed to speak in English and get dubbed over by a Japanese voice actor. So one more time, what was the character's name? Emperor Antonio. Emperor Antonio, the toga dude, <laughs> tells the guys, tells Alan Rickman and friend to... <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to rewind a second. They grab the boy. They hold the boy in front of the the ring camera that they have for a doorbell and trick the brother and Hiroshi into letting them into the house where they knock them all out. Then they contact Cetopia. That's right. We do this whole thing. Talk about Emperor Antonio. Yep. That's right. <laughs> and he says, use Jet Jaguar or use the robot to guide Megalon to attack our targets. Yes. You know, the plot of this movie is so hard to track. Yeah. I didn't even notice that we missed a part. <laughs> I was about to say, they told him to, he told them to use the robot to guide Megalon. I was like, wait, they don't have him yet. 
Yeah. That's why. Yeah. So, <laughs> this movie moves very fast. We had to pause it every few seconds so I could be writing furiously. So, they send Jet Jaguar off to go guide. Or they send Jet Jaguar off. Yes. Next, we see a shot of a city with red sand and an Easter Island head. Don't know what that's supposed to be. I'm guessing that's Seatopia. Yeah, probably. It's just a picture that kind of looks like an old Disneyland ad. It does. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. If there was like a Godzilla theme park, having that as one of the worlds would be the most confusing (laughs) choice. That would be great. And the next scene we see is an Easter Island head altar and women dancing in white bikinis with gauze dresses over them and shark fin headwear. <laughs> like these shimmery, very tall shark fins coming off their heads that covers everything but their faces. And they're doing some sort of dance while people in togas kneel to them. And Emperor Anthony... Antonio. Emperor Antonio is standing in front and talking about how... Seatopia has been threatened by this underwater nuclear testing, underground nuclear testing. So we need to fight the land dwellers. So they chant and pray to Megalon to come fight for them, fight on their behalf. And one of the things I most regret about us not watching the dub is not seeing this scene with the dub. Because he, when he is calling Megalon... He says a line that is just engraved in my soul, <laughs> which is he just shouts Megalon's name in such a, a a way. He says it with such a passion. He just goes, Megalon! And it just is so, so deep in my, my body and heart. So they call Megalon. We see him. It looks like he's flying, but apparently it's supposed to be a representation of him drilling his way up to the surface through the fissure. I assume. I don't know. <laughs> and that's the first time we see Megalon. That's the first time we see this new suit. And you were saying this is the first time we ever see the suit. And the last? Yeah, Megalon's only in this movie. Megalon's a beloved monster by the community. And this is the only time we see him. I'm so sad we didn't get him in King of the Monsters. He's such a good suit. Yeah. He's not... He's. He's definitely not that popular. He's not like King of King Ghidorah or Rodan popular, but he didn't have to be a main character. They had a lot of random background monsters in King of the Monsters. Yeah, those were mostly all made up for that movie. That's true. But uh, Megalon's Megalon's great. He looks like a beetle. I'd say a violin beetle. Sure. I only know that because I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing lately. <laughs> yep. Uh huh. Or, or since March. Yeah. I always think he looks like Heracross. Don't know who that is. I've only really gotten into the first and second generations, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah. The Pokemon Heracross, who has the big, like, he's got a horn the same way that Megalon does. So Megalon's got some yellow camo pattern on his wings, on his hard wings. He has the forked horn. Sure. He's got some drill hands. Half drill hands, right? Each each hand is half a drill. Oh, I didn't ever put that together. And then he puts them together to turn them into one drill. Oh, that makes so much more sense. It's a really bad design. He like let... it, it's a cool design, 
but it's a bad design. (laughs) (laughs) I liked him a lot. Yes. He looked... He had a lot of personality. Yes. And we'll get into that more during the fight scene, but... He's he's very, very cool. It was just such a good put-together outfit. You don't see a lot of seams in it. I think the being a bug really lent itself well to a suit because you have an excuse to have all this shiny, hard-looking material on it. Yeah. He's one of the most unique-looking monsters. His mouth opens up in two different directions, which is really cool. Yeah. And it's animated really well. Yeah. I guess I should say it's moved really well. It's not an animation. Yeah. So Megalon... So I have a few facts about Megalon. The first is his roar is not new. Oh, no. His roar is a modified version of a monster called Varen. Um, okay, at least they, they bothered to modify this one. And Varen's roar is a modified version of Godzilla's roar. Oh, no. That's even worse. <laughs> so it's just a very, very modified Godzilla roar. In addition to the Godzilla E roar, there's also a few uh, chirps that you're like, oh, that's that's definitely not a Godzilla roar. They were so cute. That's de- that's true. They're cute. They're cute, and they are also definitely not Godzilla roars. They're also still not unique. Those are from Ebira, the giant uh, lobster. So there were there was a suit for Megalon, and there was also a one-foot-long model that they used for his flying. That makes sense. So Megalon's suit is the heaviest that Toho had made at this point. Heavier than the concrete suit? Yes, heavier than the concrete suit. Don't uh, know how. I have in my notes, which is saying something. <laughs> so the scenes where it jumps were very hard to pull off. How much does Megalon jump, Amanda? He jumps a lot. He jumps all the time. He jumps out of excitement a lot. Yeah. He jumps out of... He jumps to cheer a lot. He jumps as his main form of transportation. He does. He hops along. It's very cute. And I have heard that the special effects director of the movie sometimes would just storm out of the room because he was so frustrated by all the attempts to make him jump. Because it both took a ton of people lifting him and... They didn't even have a crane. A crane doesn't have the same reaction time, I don't think. That makes sense. But also, because of that giant head that Megalon has, it's very hard for the actor to hear out of. And so he couldn't hear the the timing for him to jump. Oh, no. And so they had to have a special whistle to tell him when to jump. <laughs> they couldn't have somebody standing in front of him doing a countdown. But then he would be in the shot. Behind the camera? I guess, but he couldn't see. Oh. That also is a problem. Yeah. You, most of these suits you can't see. Godzilla's suit, notoriously, for most of them, you have two tiny holes in the neck. That's where your eyes are, are in Godzilla's neck. And that's, you see out of the holes and breathe out of the holes. And that's all you got. No, thank you. And then, the my last note on Megalon, the monster... Is that laser he shoots out of his horn Mm -hmm. is called, officially named, the Beast Killer Light Ray. He doesn't kill anything. Nope. Maybe some humans. Uh, And then I just wanted to real fast mention that Megalon is played by Hideto Date, who 
this is going to be a, a regular thing. I don't know a lot about him. He, most of the suit actors for this movie, this was their first time suit acting. And their last. And their last. Uh, this is one of his only suit acting credits. However, he did have one television credit. Ultraman. Uh, I wish. It was for a series I've never heard of before called Thunder Mask. Thunder Mask? Thunder Mask. Thunder Masks are on their way. <laughs> I don't know what Thunder Mask is. Other than apparently it's mostly lost. Most of the show is gone. So that's our first shot of Megalon is him flying slash drilling through something. Next we see Rokuro and Goro being taken to the crater in the back of a truck in a storage unit of a truck. In like a crate. They're like tied up in a crate. Yeah, sure. They're tied up in a crate. They're trying to untie each other. Not Alan Rickman. The other bad guy, Alan Rickman's friend, is in the front seat with some (laughs) truck drivers who he has paid off to drive him and his container to the Fisher that we start the movie with and to with the plan to dump the container into the Fisher. The truck drivers don't know what's going on. They just know they're getting a ton of money out of this. They're like, whatever, man, we'll drive this for you. Yes. And in the... Uh, back of the cabin, there is a poster with a bare woman's breast. Yes. I point this out not because, ooh, a, nu- a nipple, uh, but because this actually is a little important. The American version that I said everyone saw when it came to America is a shortened down version of this movie. And we don't like nudity. And we don't like ver- nudity. The American version that was on TV all the time was cut down to 78 minutes instead of the original 81. And it cut out things like that tiny bit of nudity. It cut out Rokuro being taken into the car. They like... I could see that. I understand that one at least. Yeah. They stopped him and then the scene cut, right? It's very much like a child abduction scene. It is a child abduction scene. Yes. He just happens to be taken back to his brother at the end of that. Yeah. So Cinema Shares did this cut, and I want to just talk about that very briefly. I'm going to show you the Cinema Shares poster. This is the poster that Cinema Shares used to advertise this film. Would you like to describe it to our lovely audience? It looks like the poster for King Kong. Yes. It's Godzilla on the top of a building and Megalon on the top of a building. And they're both on skyscrapers fighting each other while planes and helicopters circle them and shoot. They're, in fact, both on top of the Twin Towers. They're on top of the World Trade Center in New York. In this iconic part of the movie where they (laughs) suddenly teleport to New York. In a place with buildings because (laughs) almost all of this movie took place in a field. Yes. Uh, That's an iconic poster I just, I wanted to make sure you didn't go without seeing it because <laughs> it's nonsense. I feel like I'm enlightened for having seen it. The reason why this movie was on TV all the time is because the cut down version of the movie, a bunch of companies just for some reason assumed it was in the public domain for some reason. 
Oh no. And Toho's very litigious. They are now. Were they not back then? They didn't have money then. Poor Toho. <laughs> so they just assumed it was in the public domain for some reason. And so it was playing all the time on late night. The late night like horror, sci-fi, monster mesh, like Saturday night, Friday night. So it just goes further into making this not helping Toho dig themselves out of their hole. Exactly. So in the 70s and 80s, this was constant. Poor Toho. And for the same reason, this movie was one of two Godzilla movies that made it onto Mystery Science Theater 3000. Of all the Godzilla movies, this movie probably deserves it the most. The other movie that made it on, I I don't know if I think it deserves it, but this movie, yeah. Just for the Seatopia scenes alone. Yes. So simultaneously, while Rokuro and Goro are being taken to the fissure to be dumped in, and I, I should mention the truck drivers don't know what's in the what's in the box. What's in the box? <laughs> they're paying like they're being paid like ten thousand yen, which is no ten thousand dollars. It was a hundred thousand yen. Oh, so, sorry, a thousand dollars. I don't know. I can look it up, but I don't know. I think it's a one to a hundred. While we're seeing Rokuro and Goro being taken to the fissure to be dumped in, Alan Rickman has. <laughs> Hiroshi tied up in the house in the house of the good guys the weird Pee Wee Sherman house right he tells Emperor Antonio that he sent Jet Jawar to Lake Kitayama sure and then he starts his exposition at Hiroshi he tells him that Seatopia was in some sort of bubble when Lemuria sank Lemuria, we know from earlier in the movie, is one of the underwater civilizations. It's basically Atlantis. It is the Pacific version of Atlantis, where Mu is the Atlantic version. I believe that's what they said. I don't know. I, it, I but they were in a bubble when Lemuria sank three million years ago. That's a long time ago. Yeah. It's a long time. <laughs> And then after this convenient exposition, Hiroshi manages to escape and chokes Alan Rickman until he tells him where his friends are, which is in a container truck being taken to be dumped in a fissure. And the next chase scene ensues. Hiroshi's on his way to save his friend and his friend's younger brother. And it's just the most Blues Brothers scene in the movie. It's so ridiculous. They... You have this very long, very slow, awkward car chase down a very long flight of stairs. Yep. And then down a a dirt slope. Into like a pit. Yeah. I don't know where he planned to go from there. He, yeah, but he somehow gets out. He's chased by a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. Emperor Anton- Antonio. <laughs> well, it's not Emperor Antonio, but it's played by the same guy. Headcanon Emperor Antonio. Yeah, sure. It could be just the same dude. That would <laughs> There's be... only five guys in Zootopia, plus some ladies in shark outfits. That would be so funny, because he ends up getting covered in a white slime of some some sort, and then going... just mud. Or, yeah, he gets ends up getting covered in mud and going, oh, man, basically. <laughs> I would love for that to be the, <laughs> the king of Zootopia. So, Jet Jaguar has met up with Megalon, and he... Does some waving and 
flies off with Megalon following him mm-hmm. to wreak havoc to the background of some nice chill music and a tank montage. Yes. So most of these tanks and eventually when we see Megalon destroying stuff, the destruction scenes are pretty much all stock footage. and It was very obvious. If you're not f- familiar with what stock footage is, it means it's clips of older movies that have just been lifted from the older movies and plopped down into this movie. It gets real obvious, yeah, because... We'll wildly switch back and forth between night and day yep. and the different types of tanks and... I think, weren't some of them like black and white or something? No, but the quality of the film. Super grainy and then super clear. Yes. Yeah. And much later on, we see Megalon jumping to attack some planes. And you can see his arm changes into a hook hand because it's lifted from shots of Gigan attacking planes in a previous movie. It's like they didn't even try. Yeah, it's not good. <laughs> it's bad, in fact. Now, I've seen people claim that this is them trying to match another major competitor. Ultraman is one big competitor to Godzilla. The other big competitor to Godzilla Gamera. at the time was Gamera. Aren't you proud of me? I am incredibly proud of you. Gamera uses stock footage constantly well there are many gamma movies in mst3k for a reason yes and stock footage helps you cut down costs you don't have to build sets you don't have to you know create explosions create explosions exactly so using more stock footage helps and so the what i've heard people say you there's no hard evidence of this is that the creators saw how successful Gamera movies were using stock footage and said, oh, we could use this technique too. It'll save us some money. Why don't we try it? It doesn't look good, <laughs> but I kind of get it. So after this montage of Megalon wreaking havoc, we see the truck drivers listening to the radio with Alan Rickman's friend in the car and they hear about this monster attacking in their area. So their idea is, hey, we could just take this guy to another fisher, right? It doesn't matter which fisher, where Alan McCroom's friend insists that it has to be this fisher. We know why. They don't know why. And tries to pull a gun on them. They kick him out of the car down a ditch. Yeah, he did. <laughs> and then just go to dump the crate off the side of a dam. Yeah. When Hiroshi appears, tries to stop them, they said, no, 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 no. we got to get out of here. Give us your car or let's get in the car and go. When Hiroshi is very insistent on trying to, you know, get his friends out of the container, which these guys don't know about, they just jump in Hiroshi's car and leave instead of the perfectly good truck they already have. Yeah. (laughs) So Hiroshi is trying to get his friends back. When Megalon appears, he's crashing through the dam. Hiroshi, instead of lowering the truck bed, drops the container. Megalon bats it out of the air and sends it flying. And then it lands. The doors pop open. Rokuro and Goro come rolling out. Perfectly fine, just unconscious. Yeah, somehow not splattered. (laughs) And Hiroshi runs to catch up with them. 
Megalon catches up with them, and Jet Jaguar comes to pick up Megalon much or like, lead him off. Yeah, much like you do with a kid who's run off too far. <laughs> and then Goro remembers he has this necklace that uses, and I quote this, ultrasonic waves in case the computer ever goes down to control Jet Jaguar, but it only works if he's within viewing range. It only works if you can see him. So as soon as they crest over the mountain, it doesn't work anymore. I'm just shrugging and shaking my head. I don't get it. (laughs) I don't know. However, I will say ultrasonic waves are, for some reason, very common in old Toho movies. I don't know what it is. I don't know if that was a concept that was new in science in like the 60s or something, but it was really commonly used in sci-fi movies at this time. I don't Somebody just heard this phrase and ran with it. Yeah, it's used a lot. Next up is the tank fight. We see a lot of tanks shooting at Megalon, not really doing much. Goro runs up to a military guy and says, "Hey, get me up. Get me up next to Jet Jaguar." My necklace can control him, and they believe him. For Yeah, he's the most trusting military commander ever. <laughs> they believe him, take him, up in, take him up in a helicopter, where he's able to tell Jet Jaguar to go get Godzilla. Go get the hero of the movie. <laughs> we see Emperor Antonio asking his underling to request that Space Hunter Nebula M send Gigan in to help. Yes. And you were like, what is that? This nonsense word. What does this mean? So the previous movie right before this was a a little movie called Godzilla vs. Gigan. And the aliens from Space Hunter Nebula M were the bad guys of that movie. Oh, they're aliens. They're aliens. I definitely didn't pick up on that. Yes. The Space Hunter Nebula M is where those aliens came from. And they can control Gigan. And we'll go into that more when we wa- when we watch that movie, for sure. Meanwhile, Megalon is acting really erratically. He doesn't really have a direction without somebody telling him where to go because Megalon is apparently stupid. <laughs> They're still shooting him with tanks, which still aren't doing anything, but Megalon's not really... He's just kind of flubbing about. Jet Jaguar gets to Monster Island, and he and Godzilla communicate via semaphore. Yep, they just go... They just do cool hand motions, and (laughs) then they just have a perfect understanding of each other because Godzilla and Jet Jaguar are soulmates. (laughs) Yeah, they're bros. They're soulmates. They understand each other on an innate level. Real fast, we talked about Godzilla's design. I did not mention who's playing Godzilla. Who is playing Godzilla? Uh, It's not who you think. Uh, Haruo Nakajima retired in the previous movie oh this is the first movie without him yes this is shinji takagi shinji takagi uh and takagi was the first suit actor to take over after haruo nakajima left how long did he play godzilla this movie i liked his godzilla yeah i thought it was fun i wouldn't say that he was i wouldn't say that he did all the research beforehand that haruo nakajima did he wasn't like channeling the weight of the elephant and the movements of the bear and things like that the Hiro Nakajima does. He was more doing boxing. Boxing and like wrestling moves and stuff like that. But, you know, that's the energy of the movie. I was gonna say, it worked. So 
I think he did a good job, but as far as I know, this is the, the, as far as I'm able to tell, this is the only suit acting credit he has. So Hiroshi and Rokuro get home. They take out Alan Rickman by crashing a toy plane into his face. Yep. And Which causes a lot of blood. Oh, it really does. He's just dripping blood. Then they beat him up a bit and Rokuro swings on the hanging chained cubes into Alan, Rick- Alan Rickman, which knocks him out. And this is all going on while supposedly Goro is up in the helicopter trying to talk to Jet Jaguar. Yes. Those so. those cubes, who knew that those cubes would end up saving the day? <laughs> Goro gets home. They He says, Megalon's coming. We need to get out. They tried to bring Alan Rickman out with them, but he's struggling and kicking at them. They're like, okay, see ya. They leave. Alan Rickman comes running out of the house just in time for Megalon to send this giant boulder sailing at him and I'm assuming killing him. Well, it did land right on him. Yeah, they show him grimacing, but they don't really show any type of death scene. I think that's his death scene. I'm assuming it is. It's just not, it's not stated. Sure. Then they return to the house. They left... With the bad guy in the house, and then immediately returned. And I don't understand. I don't know, man. Movie logic. <laughs> we see Bigelon wrecking stuff. Gigan comes into the scene with his Power Rangers intro. Yep. This is the same intro he had in the previous movie. And do you remember what exactly it was? I just remember it was a montage of flashes and shots of him in poses no (laughs) he definitely didn't have poses he it was a there was a diamond out in space makes sense i guess that's the alien thing and then it exploded and then it exploded a million more times (laughs) and then gigan flies out of space makes no logical sense but you know what it's cool (laughs) this is the first time we see gigan in this movie and he's basically just robot chicken with hook hands. Yep. I don't know how else to explain it. He really does just look like robot chicken with hook hands. Yeah. We'll go into more depth about Gigan when we see his movie, obviously. But he's got a gold and green color scheme, which very love, very much love that. Very fashion. He's got cool hook hands. And I was looking around because he used to have a Gigan figure right behind us, actually. Yeah, I don't know where I put that. It might have fallen somewhere. He's got... He's got like a visor. He's, like the Star Trek visor. Yeah, he's got one red eye, which never shoots any lasers. Should, but it doesn't. It, except on a poster. He's got a saw belly. I miss that. He doesn't really use it in this movie, but he uses it a lot in Godzilla vs. Gigan. Uh, and he's got a tail with a little like spike on it. And his feet also have hooks. What? His feet also have hooks. Definitely missed that. Yeah. He is a... Oh, and his wings. He's got three wings and they are covered in spikes. He is a creature covered in spikes. And he's basically just a big chicken. He's a robot chicken. He's a big cyborg chicken covered in spikes. And my dad lovingly refers to him as Sawbelly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think I have a new nickname for him. Next time, w- when we do watch Godzilla vs. Gigan, I will be referring to him the whole time as Sawbelly. 
So Goro, Rokuro, and Hiroshi are back in the house when Jet Jaguar is back. He has fetched Godzilla, who's on his way, and Jet Jaguar isn't listening to their directions. He's not listening when he uses the ultrasonic wave necklace. They talk about, apparently, he has grown sentience. He's gained will, somehow. For movie reasons. For reasons. That's really all the explanation we get on that. Yep. He shows up at Megalon's. He flies over to the field where Megalon is currently at and just stands there in front of him, staring up at Megalon before growing to Megalon's size. And I should probably say he was originally human size, maybe a little bit taller than the main characters. Right. And through... And I quote, determination made himself as big as Megalon. Yes. I believe in the dub it is described as he programmed himself to grow big. I think they even said in quotes, determination made him grow big. Yes. Very scientific. I don't know which one I like better. (laughs) I don't know if it's his determination made him bigger or... I like the made him grow big. Yeah. It's just such a scientific way of saying that. It's so... It's so clearly the writer's like, I don't know, he needs to get bigger. He's got to get bigger. I don't care. (laughs) So Jet Jaguar is holding his own against Megalon. They're wrestling and Jet Jaguar is beating Megalon into the ground when Gigan shows up and now it's two on one and they start wailing on Jet Jaguar. Jet Jaguar is not doing well all of a sudden. Yeah, and we talked while we were watching the movie about how they each have personalities and Gigan again his personality comes out more clearly in the previous movie but Gigan is a bully like he always tries to go for a two-on-one scenario or maybe a two-on-two if he can but this two-on-one is his prime like he he likes to be in he likes to get the upper hand I would say that I think Megalon's kind of like a bully breed dog. He has a lot of energy. He was super excited when Jet Jaguar came. He was jumping up and down and clapping because he was so excited to see his buddy, right? Until Jet Jaguar started beating him up. But he just kind of attacks whatever people point him at. He doesn't really question it. He's pretty loyal to the people in charge. He has a lot of puppy energy. I think he's like a bully breed dog. Yeah, definitely. Jet Jaguar is our Captain America. Yep. Very, I'll save you by the book. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A little less competent than Captain America is. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But he's very heroic. Yes. He's Boy Scout. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And Boy Scout is getting beat up. He's getting the crap beat out of him when Godzilla arrives on scene. And Godzilla is really built up on this intro he has this really long scene of walking up to the fight and he's doing these boxer it looks like a boxer coming to the ring he's got his fists in the air and he's doing the boxer moves and he's kind of bouncing up and down on the balls of his feet he's punching the air he's doing his own hype man stuff he really is it's like Iron Man coming to the scene and playing his own theme music on a boombox while he enters. It really is. It really, really is. (laughs) Because as cool as Ultraman is, Godzilla's better. 
I think that's what they were trying to say. Like, Ultraman might be cool, but Godzilla's better. I could see it. However, Eiji Tsuburaya always said, and Eiji Tsuburaya basically made both. He basically made Godzilla and Ultraman. He always said that if the two of them were ever fight, Ultraman would definitely win. Ultraman is always a good guy. Godzilla's not always a good guy. And the good guy always wins. Yes. <laughs> so that is the beginning of the big fight scene. This is what the whole movie has built up to. And the whole movie up to now is quick flashes. I had to pause the movie a lot to be taking down notes. They would even have, going back and forth between two scenes, you'd only have a few seconds in each scene. I don't think there's really, except for the one exposition scene, there wasn't a lot of any scenes longer than even a minute. Right. But now everything kind of slowed down and we are in the big 15 minute fight scene. This is what you paid money to get into the theater to see. And I get it. Yes. This is a very good fight. Lots of personality in this fight. And this fight? is about as long as an episode of a TV show is, right? This episode or this fight is like 25 minutes long. Yeah. So there's maybe what they were thinking. It's like we can provide a fight scene, a good fight scene. And it is a good fight scene that is as long as a TV show is. This is why you come to this movie. Exactly. So Godzilla here evens the odds. There's times where they kind of split off one-on-one where Godzilla's fighting Gigan. And Jet Jaguar is fighting Megalon, and then they kind of switch at some point. Yeah. Jet Jaguar, after a little bit of time, is able to send Megalon off temporarily, and Gigan just runs. He does not like this two-on-one scenario. Right. Megalon comes back, and he and Godzilla are fighting. They turn, and Gigan has Jet Jaguar by the neck. He has his hooks around Jet Jaguar's neck where there are no arteries. Yeah, like he's going to slit his throat or something. It's very (laughs) strange. Godzilla uses his breath weapon to knock Gigan back and rushes over to help Jet Jaguar up because Jet Jaguar is stuck in a hole or something. He just can't get up very easily. It's weird. Megalon shoots a beam at them and starts this big fire, which is where the whole fire retardant issue definitely comes into play. Yes. He's, uh, in fact, shooting napalm bombs out of his mouth. What? Yeah. Those little red bombs he would shoot out of his mouth. Those are supposed to be napalm bombs. Isn't that weird? Which he just manufactures in his body. I guess. I don't know. But, yeah, it creates this big ring of fire around them. Which is very dramatic. You see Godzilla desperately trying to help Jet Jaguar up and get him out of the fire. And they're kind of stumbling together they end up getting back to back because Megalon this whole time is shooting beams and napalm bombs yep. at them. And I think this is the most visually distinctive part of the movie. When I think of this movie, I think of Godzilla, Jet Jaguar back to back in this ring of fire, like trying to figure out what to do. While Megalon and Gigan are off on the side and they're clapping. Just they're, laughing. They're jumping up and down. Mm-hmm. They're just the minions who are just loving it. Yep. They're like pain and panic and Hercules. <laughs> the little demon minions yeah. just off on the side cheering on the chaos. Absolutely. Yeah. They're they're great. They're the villains that when we eventually get to see their comeuppance, we don't feel any we don't feel bad about it because they are so mean. <laughs> so now that 
Chet Jaguar and Godzilla have come back from this near defeat. They start taking on Gigant and Megalon again, and it breaks off into being one-on-one, and slowly Gigant and Megalon are overwhelmed. Right. Jet Jaguar is overwhelming Gigant. He breaks his arm, I think. Yeah, he like takes a knee to his elbow. (laughs) And Godzilla blasts Gigant while Jet Jaguar is holding him, Mm -hmm. and Gigant is just had enough. He's out. He just leaves. Yep. <laughs> then Jed Jaguar grabs hold of Megalon, and Godzilla does this thing where he steps back quite a few miles, given the the scale of everything. Sure. And does this running attack where he jumps back up onto his tail and is sliding along on his tail. Yep. And kangaroo kicks. Yep. So the maybe the most iconic moment. <laughs> he kangaroo kicks Megalon. The sliding kick. Yeah. And then he backs up and does it again. He does it twice. I think he does it three times. Three times? Yeah. Yeah. He does it a couple times. So I I have this as a background on Zoom. That, do you? That I can use. Yeah. I don't ever use it because it's very distracting. But <laughs> I do have, just as a constant loop, Godzilla doing the sliding kick against Megalon while Jet Jaguar is holding Megalon because I will never get tired of it. I think it's so funny every <laughs> single time. And then they're just wailing on Megalon. Jet Jaguar slams Megalon into the ground over and over again. And while it's very clear who's winning, Emperor Antonio calls for the closure of the fissures to bomb the opening of the fissures and close them off. Megalon comes running and dives into the fissure right as they seal it. The fissures collapse. Chet Jaguar and Godzilla turn to each other and they do this like high five handshake. Yeah, they do the they do the Full Metal Alchemist like str- two strong people shaking hands meme. <laughs> it's like th- these two heroic heroes shaking hands and everything's good. And you know what? Godzilla and Jet Jaguar are maybe the best pairing (laughs) and this whole time goro hiroshi and rokuro have just been watching this whole fight from a hill from a hill nearby yeah (laughs) no sense of self-preservation for this whole movie nope and jet jaguar shrinks back to human size they come running up to him and they're all congratulating him but now he's back to being a robot he lost his sentience he gave it up because the job was done And they turn home with him while Godzilla goes back off to Monster Island. And that's the end of the movie. Well, wait. While they're walking off with Jet Jaguar, we hear the Godzilla and Jet Jaguar punch, punch, punch song. Yes. Can you read the lyrics? I was about to, yes. It was performed by Masato Shimon. Uh, composed by Riichiro Manabe, who composed all the music for this movie. That's all I know about Riichiro Manabe, uh, is that he composed the music for the movie. And its lyrics were written by the screenwriter Shinichi Sekizawa. Again, not exactly a high point for the mo- for his career, <laughs> but, you know, if he wrote the lyrics for this song, maybe it was a high point. Here are the... the here's the translation for the last, the last verse of the of the song he's a robot made by humans but jet jaguar jet jaguar you did it jet jaguar go go to protect peace we're all surprised at the courage you show 
Godzilla and Jet Jaguar. Punch, punch, punch. They're surprised by the courage he shows. Don't cry. Let's give it our all. Or in the Tokyo Shock translation, which is the one that we saw, they say, let's all fight bravely as a team. That doesn't sound anything like the original one you just read. Or apparently in the Criterion Collection translation, they say, we've got to be strong just like them. None of these are similar to each other. Where are these translations coming from? I don't know. Translation's weird. Got to be strong just like them, Amanda. Let's all fight bravely as a team. Don't cry, let's give it our all. I think all three of those are important. And this is the music that was playing during the menu. This is the music that I called elevator music or Muzak. Yes. Can I read to you the MST3K lyrics for the song? (laughs) Yes, please. He jock it made of steel. Eat sushi from a pail. Jet Jaguar? Jet Jaguar. He mother never really love him. He crime fighting covers up a basic insecurity. He dick he dicky covers up an Adam's apple the size of a Toyota. He basically good hearted, but he'd like to smash that kid against a rock. Now I have to see the MST3K version of this movie. Knock knock knock. Who's there? His head looks like Jack Nicholson. What? No, it looks like Green Goblin. <laughs> uh, don't smile like that. It will stay that way. <laughs> Don't he touch does my does have a creepy smile. Don't touch my bags if you please, Mr. Customs man. <laughs> so that that's that's Godzilla versus Megalod. And I will say one it was it was a very fun movie, but one thing I kind of wish they did a little different and one thing I think it, it suffered for because of the stock footage is you never see Megalon or really any of the monsters, up next to something big, or anything, really. You see them next to Jet Jaguar, but the difference is so big that you don't really get an idea of how big Megalon is. So you don't really get the the feeling that I like of just how big these things are. The closest you get is the dam that Megalon destroys. Yeah, but most of the fight takes place in a field. Yep. And... They don't really show anyone next to buildings. No one's next to cars. No one's even really next to tanks. It cuts back and forth between shot of tank, shot of Megalon. Yes. So I never really get a good feel for how big everything is. Exactly. Which is the fun part about giant monster movies is the giant part. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. It's very unfortunate. But like I said, I don't think that that makes this less fun. It is a thing that I personally would like to see change, but... I had so much fun watching this movie. There were so many scenes that just left me reeling, especially the sets. The sets, the costumes, the... You had to have me pause for so long at when we first saw Emperor Antonio just to stare at what was going on in the scene. Because there were so many things to look at. Yeah. And then the shark ladies. Yes. You were just like, what? (laughs) when he came on you just went what (laughs) it's a fair it's a fair representation so who would you recommend this movie for oh gosh this is the type of movie for somebody who doesn't have to take a movie seriously yeah i definitely can see people being annoyed by this movie Mm -hmm. it's not good quality wise but it is good fun yeah so it just has to be somebody who's willing to 
take a movie for what it is and laugh along with the movie. It's for the MST3K crowd. Exactly. People who can have fun watching a movie. Watching a bad movie. Watching a bad movie. Again, the the fight scene, I think, is great. I think the fight yes. is good quality. Like It's like watching a good wrestling match. It definitely reminded me of WWE, especially when he was just throwing Megalon into the ground yeah. and they were just wailing on Megalon two-on-one. It definitely, it definitely reminded me of people getting hit over the head with metal folding chairs in yes. WWE or when Jet Jaguar was holding Megalon so that Godzilla could run and kick him. Yeah. Like somebody holding a wrestler so someone could leap off the ropes and tackle them. Yeah. But there's a bit of a slog before that. I don't even think I'd call it a slog. I think the whole thing was very fast-paced and it then is. fight scene. By slog, I mean you have to get through people. <laughs> a lot of times you'll hear Godzilla fans say, oh, you have to get through the humans to see all the monsters. And I don't agree with that almost ever. Because I a lot of times these movies have stories that they're trying to tell and they're trying to say important things and you know there's a lot of stuff a lot of reason to pay attention to the human parts but this one i liked it i liked the goofiness of it i think that's what made it fun is just the extreme goofiness of it and it was so fast-paced that i never really felt like it was too much humans yeah i guess the tank scenes were a little much and the monster stuff before the big fight was a little boring because of all the stock footage and we did not need so much guns or so much megalon destroying things we did not need so many tank scenes i don't think it didn't really serve the movie yeah other than it did show that the military was trying even if they were failing yeah i agree so that was godzilla versus megalon Mm -hmm. it certainly was (laughs) i definitely had fun good i'm so glad (laughs) so where can people reach us uh we have an email Kaiju Island Podcast at gmail.com. And our Twitter account at Island Kaiju. Or just search us on Twitter at Kaiju Island Podcast. You can find us that way too. Yep. Our intro and outro are Manga Maniac by Olive Music. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. And remember, don't cry. Let's give it our all. Mm-hmm.